I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. You told me this was going to be a simple extraction. They were waiting for me. What was waiting for me was barely human. It tore the back off my car. Grow a spine, Solo. This is the Next Reels Film Board. Each month, a gang of thugs gathers to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil it rotten. This month, we're taking on the origin story of your favorite weird relative, The Man from Uncle, from director Guy Ritchie. I'm Pete Wright, making up the gangs this gang this month. We have the one knowing that there's just one special word to make all the pain stop. If only he could remember what it was. Steve Sarmento. Hey, good evening, everybody. And the man looking to find himself in a bottle of bourbon and a damn fine close-cut suit, Andy Nelson. Call me cowboy. And eventually, he's not going to say anything right now because 
He's he's trying to maintain his cover. He's known in the trades only by his code name, The Mouth. We know him as Mike Evans. And finally, our very own double agent, Double the Fun, Tommy Two-Faced Handsome. Hello, friends. Glad to be here. Before we get into the film, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com slash filmboard. Subscribe for free on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And be sure to join us over at Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play the Instagram hashtag Pony Prize, hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge with our favorite Scott, Stephen Smart. Contests start each Friday. Uh, okay, so the man from Uncle. We suit up here for our latest origin story reboot, this time of the popular 1960s television show of the very same name, starring Robert Vaughn and David McCallum. Uh, this is, it's an interesting show. It was a touch more than a spiritual nod to James Bond. Uh, Ian Fleming was actually involved in the development of the original show, uh, but it really proved to have much more of a cultural engine of its own. Uh, un- you know, Uncle Paraphernalia is on display at the Reagan Presidential Library exhibit on spies and counter spies. I don't know if that says more about Uncle than it does about Reagan. Uh, Richie's uncle pairs Henry Cavill as Napoleon Solo with Army Hammer as Ilya Kuryakin, uh, joined by Alicia Vikander, Elizabeth Debicki, and Hugh Grant supporting Around the Horn. How'd we like it, Steve? Well, you know. It was fun-ish. There, you know, there are things that I enjoyed. There were things that I have problems with. So, you know, it's sort of one of these middling ones, and I, I may sway back and forth. I, I don't regret my time there, but then I have to ask myself, who was this film really for? What did it accomplish? Was it really necessary? Oh, actually, that's a really good question, and I had written that question just for you, so I look forward to you answering it shortly. Okay. Yeah, stand by. Uh, Tommy. I had very low expectations for the film. I don't know anything about The Man from Uncle. I have no idea still what Uncle stands for, even though they told us in the ending credits. Uh, but that being said, oh, and Guy Ritchie is super hit or miss for me. But that being said, going in, I had a lot of fun. I thought it was super breezy and super fun. I'm already forgetting it minute by minute <laughs> after leaving the theater. But I know while in the theater, I laughed more than I thought I would. And I was surprised more than I thought I would. And I really liked it. Oh. I had a good time. Uh, you know, you're a puzzle to me, Tommy. As long as I've known you, I still, I, I, I walked out of the theater saying, Tommy's going to hate me again. <laughs> just for being a part of this show. It might just be because this one doesn't have any ants in it. <laughs> That's enough to get a five-star review for me because I'm still waking up in a cold sweat. <laughs> and no fake things fighting fake things. Or exactly. Fake things. Yeah. yeah. Andy, where, where'd you come out? I'm kind of like Tommy. I, I mean, I do have my share of uh, issues with it, but all in all, I, I had a lot of fun with the film. I, it was one of those that just was right in my alley, just easy to let go and just enjoy myself with. Um, and I had a great time. I am. I. I'm with you guys. I. And you know, I was watching it from also kind of that cultural perspective. Where what? Where does this film stand? And I think you know more than many others right now of these reboots. Here's an interesting one that I think is really well timed given our sort of global political stance right now. And so I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed uh, the the action of it. I I was surprised uh, by the the sort of weight put on each uh, of the cast members and the story. And, and so uh, I had a really good time. I'm with you guys. Guy Ritchie is, is a bit hit or, hit or miss for me. But for this one, it, you know, it's not out of the park, but maybe a double. Yeah, well, and I think, we, you know, we talked last month, we were talking about our issues with Ant-Man and origin stories. And as I walked out of here, that was, you know, 
one of the topics I wanted to touch on with this one was, does this work really well as an origin story? You know, because it, it appears, you know, that they're setting this up for uh, a possible sequel. You know, it, it plays, you know, that origin, let's bring the team together, all that. Did it really succeed in doing that? That's a real. I think that's a really good question because for me, right before the very end of the the final scene of the three of them standing on the balcony, uh, at right before the closing credits, I was of. I could have gone either way. Honestly, I could have felt really good about this being the film. They could have ended it there, and I would have been satisfied. At the same time, as soon as they said, hey, you know, this is we're going off to another mission. Hugh Grant comes out and says, by the way, you're on my team. And, and then the closing credits sort of explain what the next movie is going to be about in terms of bringing these people together. I found myself equally satisfied, I, and I, that's pretty rare. Like, I, it usually is, you know, that blatant of a setup is, is kind of, you know, I don't know, cheap. Especially right now, especially, I mean, with my personal exhaustion with franchises right. and with superheroes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would, I'm a big fan of closed movies. That's why I hope they don't make another Kingsman, The Secret Service, because I just thought it was so much fun. But yeah, I'd be fine with that, I guess. That's an easy one. Kingsman's an easy one to pretend that they don't. Even if they do, you can pretend they do because it closes at the end. So you could really ignore a sequel and it would feel good. You can't do that with this one because it's got that blatant, uh, you know, end. Mike, how did it sit for you as a, as an origin story? It's a little bit of an awkward origin story. Uh, a little bit odd. Ah! <laughs> where, where did he come from? But I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, um, I thought there's definitely uh, uh, potential to do um to explore the space as it were were you familiar and i know you are not the oldest steve has the title of being i think the oldest of us and yet still none of us are contemporary of the original show anybody have any experience with the original show i did not none no none. all right so really this is an origin story for us yeah i had nothing about it it would be remiss of us i think not to talk about its direct competition right now this season uh, you know, obviously, it is meant to satisfy the same sort of needs, story needs, emotional needs for us as I, I would guess Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I have not seen it, but it's blowing the doors off the place. I know you guys have, have uh, caught it. Uh, how does it how does it compare? I mean, did it uh, did it live up to expectations after uh, with Rogue Nation under your belt? I, I think it is an interesting comparison. The two of them, Mission Impossible, um, it does have, I suppose. Uh, well, the benefit of a modern sort of story. So you get all the cool uh, gadgetry and, and tricks that they're doing now and, and Tom Cruise doing his amazing stunt work. This one, I actually felt they did a really effective job of doing stunt work set in the Cold War era. I actually really enjoyed like the car chase at the beginning. I enjoyed the, uh, the, the boat chase. I mean, the, the way that they did it and I think the way the characters reacted within them i think actually made them more effective the least effective one i felt was actually the the chase of the vehicles as they're trying to stop the jeep getting away and may, maybe it's because everybody was in their own separate vehicle and you didn't have as much of that kind of the jovial nature of the camaraderie or just you know the the, the playfulness of it well in that in that part of the film the tone changed it, it, it sort of wasn't um um light-hearted and comical anymore it was it you know the uh, the expressions on their faces, the the way that they were acting, sort of 
um, match the seriousness of well, what was going on. Right, they had to put their grown-up exactly. hands on. That part, that part, the big chase of vehicles was also, and I don't mean to skip ahead in our conversation, but that was also the most Guy Ritchie-ness of the film. I actually thought he showed, for him, pretty amazing restraint for most of the yeah. film. And then he was like, ah, cars and motorcycles, let's go nuts! <laughs> and just went for it and got all of his uh, stuff yeah. out. You don't feel like he he had, uh, he had went a little bit uh, overboard in the initial car chase? I mean, that felt that felt very Guy Ritchie. It, it, it felt like a cross between Guy Ritchie and Speed Racer. But not the filmmaking for me. The idea and the imagination for me felt like Speed Racer and stuff, but the filmmaking with that whooshy, crazy, zoom in, zoom out, film is my clay, I can do whatever I want, and I lose interest and you know focus in a second. It felt like it was kind of elegantly filmed at times, while the basic idea was insane. <laughs> <laughs> insane, and, and, but, but it ends up, I think, having a wonderful punchline at the end of that opening sequence, right? I mean, it's in terms of the punchline to the action, where the whole thing is absolutely nuts, and they end up wedged, you know, 10 feet off the ground next to this window, and he says, now we turn left into the apartment, which right. I thought was beautiful. I got, had a good chuckle. I was, you know, sitting in a fairly full audience, and everybody really loved liked that bit like it felt like a good uh moment but you know apart from the driving this film felt really uh it, it was very physical it was very thuggish you know and that that i think is another guy richie thing it, it didn't rely too much on the the sort of mission impossibleness of the gadgets and 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 the tricks this was very much you know we're we're trying to be spies there's nothing secret when when his watch gets stolen you know you really get to be sad because it was his you know, dad's watch, not because he lost the laser cutter. Uh, uh, although I guess to be fair, he had a laser cutter. <laughs> well, and that's you know, to, for me, the the technology Damn it. Damn it. In, <laughs> the technology in this one was more for punchlines, for jokes. Because yes. the, the couple that I think of is you know, her solo's cutting through the the fence. And he's like, oh, they're you know, laser hardened, and then you know, Ilya pulls out his. He's like, yeah, yeah laser cut through the fence, and then we get the. Uh, the uh, tracking device, which is like the size of like a, you know, I don't know, some type of huge gadget she's got like clipped under her like mini skirt. It's like, yeah, these are ridiculously sized technology because it's 1960, whatever. And and so it, it's different from what they do in Mission Impossible or even the upcoming, you know, James Bond films where the setting it in that era, we can we can poke fun at the technology or the, or the, the bugs that the two guys use to plant on each other. They're these huge devices. I mean, Solo finds the one because it's so big, it's interfering with like the the alarm on his wind-up clock in the, in the apartment. It's this, this huge, like, transistor-looking thing wedged in there. So it, it has that lightness to it, which I think it benefits from. I don't think this film, if they had tried to reboot it in a contemporary setting would have worked at all because that I think that field is just too full with James Bond and Mission Impossible, Jason Bourne. There's there's so much going on. So they set it there, which I think added a nice visual texture to the film. You know, some 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 just gorgeous, you know, costumes and sets and just, you know, had a very nice look about it. But if I set that aside, I always come back to did this what did it do? Yes, it had some laughs. I was entertained, but Overall, did it do? Is that, is that all it was supposed to do? Because I don't know that that's enough to launch a franchise for me. Is it enough for an origin story? I think, you know, I'm satisfied if this doesn't go anywhere. I still don't know if I'm invested enough in this team to say, I can't wait to see what they do next. 
because there were some interesting dynamics, but it just didn't elevate itself enough for me to say, yeah, this was, I'm so excited about this universe and this, this scenario that they've set up with these characters and their dynamics. They're just, there were too many problems I had with it going on. And I, I don't know if it's script or choices Guy Ritchie made in, in how visually he was telling things, but it just, I couldn't get myself totally invested into having all that fun and letting loose with it. I, I may have a hypothesis, uh, and and for me, because I think you're right. There's a there is this question of investment, and I wonder if it's that I didn't get a sense that they were pitching these three as a team for a really long time in the movie. Yeah, right. It took a long time to get that. Oh, okay. I kind of see how these are working together. It's not just uh, protecting her. It's not just these guys are having a, a fun bit about how how ridiculously much they know about women's fashion and brands. <laughs> like it, it, there were some great moments in it, but sure. I didn't get until that there were a team until the end. And I wonder if that has any impact on investment. I'm just curious if that allows us though to just really kind of focus on the character more and invest more in the characters themselves, and not necessarily worry about if it is going to be a franchise or not. And let us enjoy that bit at the end. Go, oh, cool! It's gonna be there's gonna be another one, sort of thing. Whereas, you know, if you feel like, oh, it's the team, and yeah, this is gonna be the setup for a whole, you know, the the next big universe of some other franchise, sort of thing. I like that it was kind of set up this way, um, where you didn't necessarily know that it was going to be a team film. I think that it it made me not know really where it was going to go. Like, I, I didn't know that she was going to turn out to be an agent herself. I mean, I knew there was something going on with her, but that wasn't what I was expecting. And so it ended up pushing it into a different direction that I did like uh, quite a bit. And I, I actually think that it worked in favor of the film. I, I agree with you, actually, Andy. I think it did. And I think it's it's only in hindsight that I feel like that question comes up in, in terms of the value of them as a team and our investment in it. But I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought each of the characters actually did a good job. And to that point, um, I went into this film thinking this was a, a Henry Cavill vehicle. And... Uh, that this was going to be much more centered around him. I I found that I, I they did a really good job, and it was sort of distracting at first, I think, for the first kind of 30 minutes, just how much time they spent with Army Hammer, that he wasn't just kind of an antagonist, but was actually part of the team. As somebody who doesn't have a, a great memory of the show, uh, I thought it was really elegant and interesting the way they, they in fact, did split the trio, the stories of the trio, uh, really fairly. Uh, it, this wasn't just centered around, you know, Superman. It was interesting that you say that because I, I don't know if uh, Henry Cavill can have vehicles yet. Like I don't know if, like, do people know him enough? Like, like I think Tom Cruise can. I, I think that's what kind of helped Mission Impossible fran- movie franchises when they first came out was he was a you know bankable star. And he and he did very 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 well in them, right? And he sort of drove them. It's like I like would you like like if if this had been George Clooney, then then you'd be like, well, you know, George Clooney. But this is like oh, it would definitely right, be this yeah. Is, George this is Henry Cavill. I mean, I, I won't say I know Army Hammer. I won't say I know um, except for Hugh Grant, right? He's the only name I, I could say that I, I could point to in the movie, but. Is it really even a Henry Cavill vehicle yet? I mean, is he is he vehicleable? 
Well, he is Superman, right? Yeah, but you don't go seeing. I mean, I don't think people went to see Superman because it's like, ooh, it's Henry Cavill's next film. I think they went because it was but Superman. That's, that's I really it was not called the question. Henry Cavill's Superman. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're but but really, right. the question isn't so much would you know did they go see Superman because of Henry Cavill? It's are they going to see the next Superman because of Henry Cavill? And no. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, I checked. Nope. <laughs> I got America on the phone. No. So you don't think you don't think people know him even after uh, Man of Steel. You don't think people know him as the actor who plays Superman well enough at this point, I, or that he's not bankable enough. My guess would be that if I was to ask uh, eight of my friends, seven of them wouldn't know the name Henry Cavill. But maybe that's just me. Okay, quick poll: Did you like him better as uh, Napoleon Solo or as Superman? I didn't see Superman. <laughs> I'm not having a real conversation. I'm just saying things. I will say that he did, in my opinion, he did a better acting job in this movie, in Man of Uncle, than than in Superman. I, I so from the moment I knew he was in the movie till the end of the film, watching it, I thought he did a fantastic job playing that role. I thought he was fun when he first started talking like his super snotty thing. I was wondering, like, oh no. Like, he's made a horrible choice until that turned out to be the boon for so much humor of his completely unflappable stuff. And then I thought he was really funny. Yeah, I agree. I Yeah, I thought he was great in this. I mean, I didn't like Man of Steel at all, so it's hard for me to judge just him. I mean, I think he did an okay job as Superman in that film if I just focus on him and not the film itself. But this, I felt like he really captured the essence of this character of napoleon solo but like robert vaughn played him in the tv show so i don't i don't have any source material to sort of you know know what his character was i mean they, they took the all the names of the characters directly from the show um so i don't know if if he played a good um you know uh, napoleon solo but i know he played a good character in the movie and i thought he he you know after he realized that so the movie's a little campy but it's his character is, is that is his character, and you and you can see it, and it's pretty dang cool. Yeah, uh, Robert Vaughn didn't need his biggest suit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> now, the thing that I did find myself wondering is because I, I, I don't think his performance in Man of Steel was that memorable for him. So I, as I, as I was watching this, I'm listening to him talk, and I'm, I'm asking myself, does he have that? Is there, is there an accent? And I think it's called like the Mid Atlantic. Or transcontinental, transatlantic, transatlantic accent yeah. that he had, and I was like, "Is that, is that an accent he's done for this? Which, which seems to fit really well, or is that his? Is that how how he speaks? I don't know because I don't know him as an actor that well, other than Superman, and I didn't catch anything there. So I thought this is interesting because I I was really enjoying his performance, but I just caught myself thinking is. Is it sort of like Tom Cruise, where Tom Cruise plays Tom Cruise in all these movies? Is Henry Cavill playing himself, or is it he's really created this persona of, of Napoleon Solo? And I couldn't tell the difference, because I think he isn't such a known entity to, to make that distinction. Well, he is British. Yeah, isn't everyone is faking accents except for Hugh Grant in this movie, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it's a crazy accent off. Yeah, and, uh, it's almost kind of like, why not hire someone from that country? <laughs> I thought their accents were fine. I'm not yeah. uh, throwing shade, but it was just weird that everyone is playing dress up with their voices. I think it's it's actually they they are, and I, I think Alicia Vikander, she's she's Swedish. Go Sweden, <laughs> uh, and she she I think 
so she was playing German. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki was French. she was born in Paris to a Polish father with an Australian mother of Irish right. descent. Is that and they were dancers? Dance no, no. Uh, Alicia Vikander was ex machina. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki was the. Batty. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay, so moving on from uh, Henry Cavill, what about uh, Army Hammer? Loved him! I, I've been waiting for Army Hammer to... Oh, it sounds like I might be alone. I'm going out on this branch. <laughs> Let's go, Foster Dog. We're going on this branch alone. I thought he was super fun. I thought that they maybe drilled in the idea that he has rage issues a little bit too hardcore. I had just watched, just for fun, uh, Social Network. Uh, rewatch Social Network again. I think he's really magnetic, and I think he's really interesting, and I liked him. That's what I was going to say. The only thing terrible about Man from Uncle Army Hammer, Army Hammer is the performance that there weren't two of them. <laughs> right. I, I, I like him a lot, and uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to say this, and this may be my uh, on my guilty pleasure list. I even liked him in Lone Ranger. Oh. I said oh, it. Oh, I wow. did too. I did too. Thank you, Tommy. I think he's really neat, and I don't think Lone Ranger is anywhere near as bad as people give it bad credit for. So I'm also going on the record for that. Tommy, I feel good about this. Oh, good. Still have no idea who you are. Also, Pete is so handsome. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought he was great in this. I I thought he was great. I had no problem with him. I haven't seen Lone Ranger, so I I can't say. But I mean, I, I have enjoyed pretty much all of his performances, even in movies. I mean, I'd say Mirror Mirror is the one that's really the painful one to watch. That film is pretty bad but i mean even he wasn't uh he was fine in it it's just a bad film but um i, I don't even I, know what that is to be honest it was one of the the two competing snow white movies that came out a few years ago. oh right okay yeah 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 i don't like conflict so i decided not to see either <laughs> <laughs> i had kids so i saw both <laughs> got it yeah but uh yeah no i thought he was great i i did like the uh the struggles that he had as a character with his rage with his attraction uh, to uh, Vikander's character, and uh, just and, and just dealing with somebody from the West, I, I enjoyed all of those elements going on in this. Mm-hmm. Well, his character is the one that really has a transformation through this film. You know, Napoleon yeah. Solo is pretty much the same. So that was what was surprising to me in this is from the setup. You think, okay, here's his. Here's this antagonist character. Oh, and then it okay. It turns into the the buddy cop movie where there's the two guys that don't get along and they've got to go on a mission. We've seen this before, but by the end, I I felt like yeah, there had been some change in his character and there was some development. There was an arc there that was unexpected, and I I think his performance was able to carry that well. So I was I was impressed. I feel that if there's a film that's gonna gonna help launch his career after a few stumbles like Lone Ranger, uh, this may be the film that. Uh, gets him back on track and we expect we can see more things from him in the future to see army hammer as that branded name where people are like, Oh, it's an army hammer film. Maybe I'll go see that. Alicia Vikander. Oh, she's adorable. Is that ex machina? Yes. Okay, good. Oh, she's adorable. She's adorable. (laughs) I want two of her and to make her bookends. (laughs) That's not creepy at all. That's just creepy. That's not weird. No, that was bad. I don't know. Sometimes I forget where the line is. I thought she was. uh, I thought she was really terrific. I I have to say, I could just. She was adorable. She was great, and she had a a toughness about her that worked really well paired with these two guys that uh, played off of them well. And I, I think she held her own against them. 
and the when the twist comes later in the film that you know she's there's some something she's doing um and we didn't know what it was i i enjoyed all of that she had carried that element of of surprise well in the film there's a structural thing i want your points uh, your thoughts on um and she this is more about uh you know production than her specifically but she's sort of a vessel of it there is a point toward the end uh where i began to notice it was when she was at the final meet and army hammer was was in the bushes watching her and she started talking and the question was how did you how do you know so much and she says simple and then it jumps to silent use of montage right and then immediately comes back to the unveiling of how she knew. And it was at that point I started to notice they did that a lot in this movie, right? A lot. And sometimes it was paced really well where they would unveil something that you saw well earlier in the film and they would sort of release the secret, which was really great. Uh, But sometimes it was like this scene with Alicia where they released the secret immediately after they told you it was a secret. And I found that gave me a little bit of secret fatigue. Am I alone? No, you're not alone. Nope. uh, Nope. Huge problem. I thought it was horrible. Yeah. Okay, so let's go. Well, Mike. I thought it was completely wasted. Like, so the the end scene with the on the carrier, they did it, and they did it they did it a couple times in the hotel, and I I, I felt it was like a, it's a mechanism that was that was wasted. It was like wasted energy, because I, I thought they could. And, and to be honest with you, I don't remember any cases where they did it, where they planted the thing, um, and then did the rewind later on in the movie, which I thought would have worked well right I, I i felt doing it 45 seconds after you you do the thing doesn't really achieve any other effect than um oh we got to see the scene twice yeah that that's kind of how i was feeling uh steve well there was there was one that happened earlier on where there's a scene where the guys are out um on their mission or whatever or something like that or maybe it's the left she gets a call or she makes a call and she's like she's says, you know, connect me to room 304, and she says, okay, the, the meeting's been set. And I'm like, okay, that's not Napoleon's room. Who's she talking to? This is interesting. And we don't find out for quite a while. And so that, to me, that reveal, I didn't really need, because I think other things we're going to, we could piece that together as an audience. So that was one where I felt like, you, you left me hanging there, okay, you probably didn't need to tell me that, but some people may have been wondering if that tied into this other reveal. But the other ones, when she's at the table and the one on the aircraft carrier, I'm like, okay, you you made this choice, but you, you haven't been pegged down to like one point of view where we you needed to break to give us this information because your narrative restrictions didn't allow us to have it. It was you needed to keep the audience out of the loop to build suspense, and it's like artificially creating suspense just to create suspense and it's kind of like cheating yeah exactly i felt those were were were, were cheats where it, it's not like a big mystery where it's like aha i'll tell you how i know everything and, and lay out all these clues that we've seen it's just like we, we need to build some suspense and then a minute or two later we're going to tell you this information because we needed to withhold it to you to keep you on edge and it's to me it's just faulty storytelling like you couldn't find a better way to structure that, because if, if that had been revealed, what 
What did that do to the story that deflated it that you felt like you needed to create this suspense? Slightly interestingly, it's the opposite. I think I know where he got the idea or got at least the taste in his mouth for it is it's the opposite of what he does in Sherlock Holmes. Yes. The Sherlock Holmes movies, when he predicts the fight. Yes. Goes through it slowly and then goes back and does it really fast. Yeah. So I I love directors that play with linearity. Oops. Yeah, linearity and stuff like this, like that. And when it worked in this movie, I'm totally agreeing with you guys. When it worked, it worked. The aircraft character or the aircraft carrier was like laughable. It was, it was enormous. <laughs> we were just there. Yeah. Not only were we just there, but there was enough good work in camera. Like when the missile went off, we saw the, the flare go across his face on the phone. Like we knew what happened already. Yeah, we were they, way ahead of we him. We were so far ahead of him that they didn't use it as a tool to actually unveil something useful more than they used it as a tool to unveil something cool. And and that was just really, really frustrating, and I think does a disservice to these guys who are giving great performances that really demonstrate what was actually going on. I will on. say that that your example of Sherlock Holmes, that that's where I was remembering it from. I I, could, I couldn't put my finger on it, and because that was a good, I thought that was it wasn't just the the um, the slow mo map out of the of the of the uh, fights, but they they also had major components where they went back to stuff that went in like the first half of the movie. And they were, and they wrapped it all up in the end, and they would like sort of flash back to different parts where they had left little Easter eggs, uh, and then you know, and they would, and they would like collect it all together. That I thought that was like planting it far enough away from the reveal that it was well worth it. It was, it was. You're like, oh yeah, I missed that. Where you know, you're not getting any any benefit out of it doing it 45 seconds after. A cool in the modern uh, cinema, a cool way that I think uh, has used that really well was the first Ocean's Eleven by Soderbergh. Absolutely, that he puts so many totem poles that you don't notice. Of like, okay, the SWAT team is coming up. Why do they have a thing hanging in their side view mirror? Like you just, but you remember it all, sort of. Uh, subliminally and then it all comes back well and it makes it that much more rewarding to watch again uh like you actually feel like you have something to piece together and even in the good uh use of the tool in uncle there is no value in re-watching any of these things there's nothing you're you're there's i mean it's a fun movie to watch but in terms of a of a trope it that that bit failed yeah one bit however that i think works really well uh is the use of montage in really interesting ways i think and and the one that really comes like to the mind split screen stuff or? the split screen stuff when well it's the split screen stuff but it's when they use the split screen stuff in the film right that was the big insertion right that was the incursion into the right. big nuclear thing and they they made the biggest most explosive most spy heavy kind of pinnacle of the film a montage of split screen 60s insanity and i loved it i was i loved it <laughs> that's I so cool that, was, that you brought that up yeah. oh my god it was so great and you know why it's 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 both beautiful and a little bit disappointing because what they the payoff i thought was going to be hey okay so clearly he wants me to move through all the flash stuff so that there will be a bigger payoff and i think what you guys have already pointed out for me at least also the bigger payoff was this rather middling car chase up the mountain which i think the coolest part was him <laughs> driving across the water which i thought was fun i found myself smiling big yeah. at that. what'd you think of that am i alone there i thought that was super fun it was a great nod to i mean i for me it was like straight out of the thomas crown affair the original 68 uh, mcqueen 
version with Faye Dunaway. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the whole setup. Like at the beginning of that film when the bank robbery, it's all like this cool split screen and just the, kind of this funky stuff. I and mean, it's it's a great uh, design to, to, to do an action scene like that. And I love that he kind of pulled that element from the 60s to, uh, to throw that in there. I thought it worked really well. Well, see, I think it worked other times in the film when he used it when they when they're breaking into the satellite whatever factory manufacturing place when solo and Ilya are going in there it's used there it's used like one other point i think when we first get to the island uh but when there's the big military assault it was just too, it was too much i i i, I thought i like the idea of we're going to condense this huge like assault sequence i thought that was interesting but the cutting it was like chaos cinema 60s style it was so many different sections of this film with you know on the screen broken up into six to eight different parts and each section is like only like two seconds long so there's nothing i can focus on and maybe that's the intent to just like we're assaulting this place and okay now we're done in 30 seconds but it just was too much to look at i i didn't have any sense of where we were other than here's guys in black shooting other guys and it's night vision or this and that and then we're through it and i thought i you're, what you're telling me is you, you're condensing this part of the story because, yay, we're going to get to something better, I hope. But now I'm thinking, if you hadn't showed us all those other scenes like three times through you know these flashback things to show us the secret reveals, maybe we could have spent a little bit more time on the assault, getting some suspense. I, I And I agree with you on uh, a bit on that point. And I think more philosophically, sort of visually, I love the idea of compressing time using the montage. I think it works much better as a visual trope than, than the repetition bit that they do. I, I agree there were a lot of split screens. Like there was, it was an enormity of split screen, an insanity of split screen. And I'm just glad they didn't put shaky cam in there too. If Guy Ritchie's going to do split screen... He's yeah. going to do six. <laughs> like, he's not, he's going to be like, yeah, he's like a dog with a bone. He's insane. I will say this. There was a lot of 60s era visual, but not just the dress and the cars, but like the the television, um, a lot of, you know, visual things that they do, a lot of tricks that they did uh, in television shows back in the 60s. I think they, I think they didn't bring too many of them in. So even if the split screen may have been a little bit overdone, I don't think they used it too much. I think they. I don't think they were getting wacky. You know, there were no, there were no um, freeze, stop, everyone do dancing. You know, on, on the disc, on the stage, and then back to the action type stuff that you know they could have done. I think they kept it pretty tame. Did they only do that in? <laughs> wait a minute. Did they only do that in the Michael Myers film? No, no, they, Mike they Myers. Used to, for real. <laughs> what are those called? Austin Powers. They used to do that for real. They didn't really yeah. do those, did they? Yes. You should watch some old Batman TV shows. They actually... They would just have a They dance would do break? that in... I, I've watched old Batman, but I don't remember the dancing. They, That's like a Gidget, like they, Beach Blanket Bingo. They, and they, Those were things that in that in that time period were, were uh, hip and different TV shows tried them in different, <laughs> in different levels <laughs> you, of... Uh, different levels of uh of intensity well you definitely just locked the old man of the episode well, no 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 but i will say this though i thought they brought i, I didn't think they brought too much of that stuff in and I, you know I, so i didn't have an issue with the split screen i didn't think it was too much but i will say that it wasn't like dominating the whole movie okay so not too much of the 60s and yet i do want to point out in terms of the uh the production design 
I adored this film. I th- I felt so into the 60s. Like it was beautiful. Yeah, and the, everybody looked the part, especially the women and their their outfits. Uh Vikander and Debicki both just looked so good in their 60s outfits. It just just yeah. a, a treat to watch and just feel the era. And I love who said it. I really I think it was Steve, but it might have been Andy and I apologize, but the only reason that this film can exist and have its sort of own marker is in the time period it's in versus getting lost in the world of Bourne and James Bond and Kingsman and all that kind of stuff of like, it just has such a strong stylish sense that it was just really stood out. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think this is, that's another reason this film just, I think landed at just the right time. And I hope it finds enough of an audience that, that agrees with that because I think it's just really fun in that regard. Um, you know, particularly for those of us who were, you know, kind of born just after um, the '60s, uh, the the heat of the '60s. Certainly, didn't grow up in the in the '60s. I think it's so. So, great. who do you think the audience is for this film? Because I I can tell you, I saw a, a early afternoon show, and it was an interesting mix of people. But the vast majority of the those in attendance were, I'd say, you know, over sixty. So mm. I'd say fans of the TV show. There were some younger. It's there, but I feel like it, a lot of the audience I saw it with were fans of the show, remembered the show, went, or just people trying to get out of this horrible heat wave we're having in Phoenix. But it seemed like I think the younger crowds were going to straight out of Compton this weekend, and this was the counter programming for an older audience. It's interesting you say that. I mean, I was kind of doing a visual you know, highly rigorous visual survey of my audience too. And, and it was a big mix. I mean, there were a number of, of people who looked kind of right in my age. I sat down kind of near the back at the very time. I was the only person in my row in five minutes or like two minutes after the film starts, uh, three look about 14 year olds, uh, boys walk in and sit down right next to me. I've never seen these people at all. They said it was totally broke, uh, you know, theater, uh, uh, conduct. Conduct. yeah conduct totally broke theater conduct and yet they sat next to me didn't acknowledge I was there and then proceeded to tell each other about how funny the film was as it was going on throughout the entire <laughs> length of it and so I know from them suit. that's hysterical that- it was. It, they they really got a kick out of it, and they had a blast. And I'd say they were no, they were in that sort of fourteen, fifteen year old range. So I thought it 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 really appealed. They, we didn't laugh at the same things uh, generally, and so I thought that was really interesting. I, I think a, a sign of broad appeal, at least for for my experience. But I don't know if I don't know if if it if it does have an audience. It's it's like a nostalgia audience. I mean, this isn't like uh, people like watching Doctor Who. That you know got canceled in the in the late '80s or whatever, and they were hoping it would come back. And they have active you know people who are actively watching the TV show. I mean, if there were, I mean, this is like the Avengers. You know, there's a certain there's a certain um, you know segment of this type of stuff in the '60s that what were we talking about? That's like 50 years ago. You know, so it it I don't I don't think if it's anything, I don't think that the filmmakers are making this type of stuff are hoping are banking on the crowds of old man from uncle watchers coming out to the to the to see the movie because none of my uh, when i was saying that i was seeing uh, man from uncle today to a lot of my friends that i've seen over the weekend a lot of them didn't even know that the film was coming out and they don't even know what man from uncle is we're a little bit older so that's fine but the basic idea is i think it's a mix between a the studios desperately needing for a name like that name recognition thing that they're holding on to so they make films like Battleship 
and stuff, which have nothing to do with anything that anyone cares about. But then also put in with a filmmaker that is like, okay, but I'll make it my own. Like I'll take a little bit of the tropes and stuff like this, but then if that's what it takes to make a franchise, if that's what it takes to get a studio to make money, uh, I'm sorry, to give me money to make a film, then I'll do it. But I won't really care about Man from Uncle. Did that make any sense? I'm getting around that. I'm coming around the corner on you. Yeah. yeah. I, it was a lot of words. <laughs> do you want me to try it again? Cut that out. Okay. Look, guys, first there were dinosaurs. No, I don't know. I just feel like that I'm so fed up with Hollywood name recognition with the studios so um, uh, perseverating on that all the time. That that's what's needed. That's what's needed. And it continually fails unless the film works. And so I just wonder if maybe if people like Guy Ritchie can make good movies based on a dumb franchise that no one cares about anymore, if that's what it takes, then maybe, unfortunately, that's the way to keep making good movies in Hollywood. I think that it's it's a, a very interesting way to try to make something. I don't know if it's going to work for them. Um, and I think a, a big part of that is it doesn't have as much of the name draw. And uh, going back to what we were saying earlier. Not at all. I really think that in order for some, for something like this to kick into a really big franchise like Mission Impossible, it really does need a Tom Cruise helming it that is going to draw people in who don't don't know anything about it and don't care anything about it. They're just like, oh, I'll go see it because it's a Tom Cruise movie. This one is really banking on people who, I mean, you had to buy into the trailer, buy into the idea of this kind of Cold War spy partnership and just kind of say, okay, well, I'll invest some time into that. And then there is a there's a small chunk of film audience who are Guy Ritchie fans who will probably go see anything with him, um, or that or that he does. But I, I just don't think that's a big audience. I don't think Henry Cavill has a big audience. Army Hammer doesn't have a big audience. Right. None of these people carry the audience yet. It's all just kind of banking on. We're hoping that people are have a fervent enough uh, draw to spy movies right now. Right. And part of that, I think also in my conspiracy theory mode, is that the studio was hedging their bet. They've been trying to get this uh, reboot up apparently for like years and years and years and years. And their way of saying that this is a franchise we could have, but also no one knows who the man from Uncle is, that they can't pay Tom Cruise salaries. So they get two guys they can get who are both handsome and both cool and affordable. And let's give it a shot and give it to a hot director and like a super stylish director and see what can happen. Well, it's interesting. Maybe. It's interesting you say that because apparently originally Soderbergh was attached to direct it. Man, that would have been an interesting film. He was originally attached to it. He left, apparently he left in 2011. Um, ironically also, okay, so this is funny that we hit this point of the conversation because in 2010, George Clooney was attached to this film at one point to play Napoleon Solo. Oh, wow. And there's actually a long list of leading male actors who were originally, including Tom Cruise, attached to take over this role, including like Fassbender, Bradley Cooper, and Ewan McGregor. So interestingly enough, I don't know if it's a, if it's a, the way the Hollywood politics work out, if it's just, you know, movie creation has momentum and loses momentum, that we arrived at the one that we arrived at. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I think it's it's interesting that, that is it less of a film because those people are not involved with it or will it, will it be less successful 
financially because those people are not involved. Well, I think that's the that's the thing that's that is potentially frustrating about it. I mean, here it is, we're on sort of day two. It's not you know, it's not leading the box office. That's a, about almost thirteen. It's an estimated thirteen million opening weekend. So we'll see how it does. Did, did I mean I? So I, I watch uh, uh, trailers. You know. You know, either iTunes or the websites that have tra- just just trailers, and and I found it. I found it originally on there, the trailer for it. But when it was brought up earlier about uh, um, not really seeing that much about it, I, I have to admit I don't think I've seen any um, advertisement or, or drive for it. I actually read something that talked about kind of the pros and cons. This uh, it was on uh, boxoffice.com, uh, looking at uh, Man from Uncle, the you know how what their what could affect its box office, the pros and cons. And they said, compared to especially Straight Outta Compton, that for this film, the social media activity was just just almost non-existent. That like Rogue Nation, Kingsman, Spy, all those spy movies from this year all had huge, like everybody was tweeting about it. This hardly has anybody attached to his Facebook page. Um, it's just, it's not something that is... Uh, people are talking about. Nobody is talking about this film. And I, I don't know if that's a fault of their advertising, like they didn't push it, or it's just something that they did push, but nobody latched on to it. I mean, the, the, I read an article about the uh, Straight Outta Compton did a on-purpose, very huge social media blitz advertisement, and, and as well as other advertisement. Um, apparently, uh, the latest uh, um, UFC fight had the movie being advertised right on the floor of the octagon. So, um, oh, uh, the, the Ronda Rousey fight, sorry, the Ronda Rousey fight, even though it's only 34 seconds, you got to, you got to see it. Um, you know, and so there was like a blitz of advertisement for that, uh, for that movie. Well, and don't, don't forget that Dr. Dre is bang up popular in a number of different demographics right now. I mean, yeah. He's just he's blowing up at Apple and with the the re-release Beats. digital release of yeah of Compton uh, the soundtrack of Compton the soundtrack but end of Chronic I mean ah! uh, that's uh, he's just he's all over the media right now so and I think because I always like to pretend that I know what's going on it's the fact of like trying to restart this name recognizable thing the man from Uncle. Where there's periods between every, I mean, that is such an inscrutable, <laughs> terrible title that to keep calling it that, even because I mean, that goes to what Andy is saying is like banking on the idea of like name recognition. I don't think anyone, that many people really know what that is, or at least people that will come into the theater. The Man from Uncle is a terrible, is kind of the worst. That's like Steve the Bench. <laughs> like it's just putting it's just putting words together. Like no one knows what that is. Like yeah, the owl that that stole a, a blanket. Like no one. It's just nonsense. So that's a terrible title to have any kind of traction. Well, the the one last thing about it is that so we're, if we're talking about them wanting to make a a film in the same period um, at, or the same area from Mission Impossible, maybe they want to try to you know get in on the same thing, right? Uh, that movie is still showing in theaters right now, and the um, so they're competing with that one, which I don't know which weekend it's in. But uh, I'm looking at one of the the numbers, and unfortunately, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation looks like it may beat 
man from uncle for this weekend. And, and then you also have, you know, other, other ones coming up. The, the other like properties of the time are also like the, the Avengers was, was a popular one that predated by like a couple of years, but you can't use that title. You can't, you can't reboot that one. Right. So it's, it's, I don't know if the goal was to try to compete with mission impossible, but if it, it, it seems like a lot of the, Hollywood mechanics of this seem to be a little bit off as well. The advertising, the placement, the time you release it, things like that. Yeah, I, it's I, it almost feels like they're just you know they're flushing it. Yeah, so this is Warner uh, Brothers, the you know Mission Impossible's Paramount. So it's almost like they're trying to have something in the same space, but they you know they don't have as much firepower. Do you think they are flushing it? It's a weird time to flush it, but if it costs that much. That's interesting. It it really, I mean, it just seems no crazy. one knows. It, no one knows. Here. It just seems insane that they've done zero push, right, to get it out there and to educate the market. I mean, it's the fact that Rogue Nation is in what week four, yeah, and it's it is ahead of Man from Uncle, uh, you know, in the same genre. Um, right. That's that's bananas and that's, to me, and that's always so disappointing. I'll yeah. never quite understand that kind of money understanding of like you spend that much money. And then to throw it away when you have a good... I mean, the film is pretty good. It's worth oh, yeah. not dumping at all. I mean, it's worth... It's it's maybe not a tentpole because its name is The Man from Uncle. But, <laughs> but it You're could saying it may be, not play in yeah, the... It could uh, be a huge... It may not hit. play in the 24 to 40 female category very well. Is, a, is what you're Yeah, it's not a four quadrant right. thing. I read that I can't, I can't. I can't wait to find out what the Swedish translated title for this movie is. <laughs> Oh, me neither. That's brilliant. <laughs> it, it it just seems a little unfortunate because um, you know it, it does seem it is enjoyable, but I don't know what I, you know. They kind of set it up for a sequel, but so the you know the question is all the other ones you know have modernized. So Mission Impossible was based on it, but it's a modern. You know this is this is stuck in the period. So do you do you sort of you know James Bond is from there. They're still doing films, but they're modern. Um, well, that's a good point. I mean, when you look at it in 1964 dollars, the man from Uncle's doing oh, sure. really well. It's, it's killing it, right? <laughs> but, but it's like, are they going to keep? I bet that's how the studio's talking. <laughs> like, are people still wanting um, stories told from that time period versus just? Well, characters? that's what they're banking yeah. on, right? I mean, they're banking on the the nostalgia factor. I think probably a little more than that, and and. Uh, but it, it it was a delightful experience, and um, you know, f- final uh, final comments as we uh, as we move into our final uh, thrilling segment. Uh, Andy, I've got a, I've got a few uh, little things to say. Um, I don't know if they're really final comments, but um, I was really glad that they didn't make this a spoof, kind of like they have been doing with a lot of TV uh, reboots lately. I was glad that it was just kind of a straight up, I mean, I haven't seen the show, so I can't say if it was exactly what the show was, but it it didn't feel like it was making fun of what the show was at all. It actually felt like a serious attempt at making a version of that show for us to enjoy. I really enjoyed that. I mean, not to say I don't enjoy like 21 Jump Street and stuff, but I, I, you know, this just worked really well for me the way that they did it. Um, Because in, in many respects, Austin Powers was already that spoof. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I didn't need to see another um, Starsky and Hutch ever again. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> Total train wreck. 
That was pretty awful. Um, we haven't talked about the villains at all. I loved Elizabeth Debicki as the villain. I thought she just uh, was fantastic. And almost more than her, Sylvester Groth as Uncle Rudy um, was just brilliant, particularly his bit uh, when he's torturing them and then when they turn the tables on him and just the way that he just instantly changes was perfect. And I, I really just loved all of that bit with Sylvester Groth in there. <laughs> totally agree. That was hysterical. It was it was really a gruesome uh, death to know was happening, even though they didn't show it. Right. It was so it bad. It was so awful. <laughs> And I was laughing. I'm like, I can't believe I'm laughing at somebody like who's getting, electrocuting himself <laughs> like, to the point of blowing up and on fire, burning, yeah. burning himself to death. That was awful. Uh, it was horrible, horrible thing to happen. But I couldn't stop laughing. So because he was the worst, they really <laughs> trucked him to be like the worst person on earth, and so that makes it okay. I actually thought that was interesting. Of he used that trick, what I think three times. Uh, which and it worked almost every time for me of the idea of someone being kind of oblivious or at least indifferent while crazy stuff is happening in the background out of focus. Mm-hmm. That was like, like the, a continued like when the, she's dancing. When she's dancing during the boat chase, when uh, Superman is eating the sandwich, adored that sequence. Yeah, and then with the uh, guy uh, electrocuting himself because the short was fixed. I've never seen a film that did the exact same joke in a way three times in a row, and it actually worked. I thought that was actually pretty smart. Well, yeah. you know, they were throwing spaghetti at the wall because the other thing didn't work, the the time travel. <laughs> so, yeah. Andy, uh, what was your, you had a couple of points, yeah? Uh, I Well, I think that was it, the the fact that they didn't make it a spoof, and then uh, the, the bad guys, I liked them quite a bit. It's funny that you say that because I, you know, I also, I liked the bad guys quite a bit. I find myself, I don't know, who was it who said it was it? Tom, you're forgetting it as the minutes go by. Yeah, uh, I had already sort of forgotten the bad guys. Yeah, how could you forget Freddie Mercury? Right, he was awesome. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he was forgettable. Uh, that was my. This was the. This was the one thing that I wondered about this film because I walked out and I said I. I don't even know what the villains were doing. I know they had the the nukes, and I'm assuming they were giving them to the Nazis to just continue what was going on in World War II. But there, what it was similar to. Like criticisms of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, where it's this post plot film where it's like, yeah, there's lots of cool action sequences, and yeah, there's MacGuffins, and there's not really a main conflict, it's just these things. And this was one where I felt like they had an opportunity to set it up, and if we're going to launch this as a franchise, we don't have like the big bad necessarily, unless it's going to be the Nazis resurgence or something, I'm not sure. But this one, other than they set this, her, the Countess or whatever, up as. Like she's the she's you know beauty and brains and ambition. She's you know you know she's you know really this bad person. I didn't really get a sense of why she was doing this. There was something with her father, but I I felt like I was really paying attention to this film, but I didn't really get a sense of her ulterior motives, why she was doing this. You know, she's at the end she's threatening to basically destroy all of humanity, telling. Solo, you know, you and all your ancestors and relatives are going to be obliterated. Like, why? I I just didn't have a sense of what the villains' motives were, other than that they were. So I don't bad I don't know if it came through. I don't remember them mentioning it. But the in the old in the TV series, the 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 um, 
bad guy organization that Uncle was battling was was Thrush, which is effectively uh, your world domination organization, right? It's like a smirch in the James Bond stuff, um, you know. And but they didn't highlight it very very well. It, so they brought the characters and the concepts from Uncle almost directly, um, like word for word from the TV show um, to the to the movie. But they didn't. You know, basically the the counter uncle, the aunt, I guess you could I guess you could say it, was was this this thrush. <laughs> Still yeah, funny. Exactly. Is uh, yes. is like this thrush organization. And I guess if you I guess if you were one of the people who were, you know, the uh watched it, you would assume you would just fill in the fill in the fill in the gaps. But they didn't they didn't really address it, so you could basically say that this was a, a an isolated villain. You know, but with no motive, I guess. Well, maybe they're playing; a, they're doing a long play on the sort of parallel to Spectre. You know, I mean, eventually we'll get to the movie <laughs> Thrush. Exactly, which would be a horrible mistake. Now that I say that, that would be really a horrible, horrible thing. I guess it just goes back to my issue of I'm not sure who this film was for because if it depends so much on people that were fans of the show that I'm assuming are intelligent adults. They have things that they dumb down, like these, you know, let's, let's hide a secret and reveal it. And, like, our audience is smarter than that if you're going to this older audience. If you're going for a younger audience with the action and stuff, then I guess maybe you don't need to explain your, your villains as much then, I guess. So that's this whole post-plot thing of just we go on a cool adventure and it's fun and this film fell into that. And to me, it felt like it was it really was a film torn between two decades. Yeah, I guess we'll see if that pays off. It did for me. Round the horn, final comments, and then we are going to rank it, Andy. Um, I liked it. I mean, I did have some pacing issues. It kind of fell in and out uh, over the course of the film. Um, but I loved the characters. I really connected with them. The the style of the film I enjoyed, the production design, uh, everything about it I just I, I found very enjoyable. I think I, I like Steve, kind of am of the mind that you know, how quick am I going to end up forgetting this film? But that being said, it's a very easy watch and it's something I could easily watch again. Final comments, Mike. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I, uh, I, I think I would watch another movie um, in this same thing. And I definitely will watch another Henry Cavill vehicle. Excellent. And Steve? Yeah. I yeah, I'm still torn. I you know, I'm I'm thinking about this of, you know, going back to watch it again and, and I, for some reason I'm thinking back to our our review of The Equalizer, which is again a reboot of a TV series. The enjoyment of the film didn't depend on that. It drew a lot of things from that. Uh I don't know. I'm just I'm still I guess I'm going to wait for a second viewing of this when it comes out on, you know, digital, you know, streaming or, you know, whatever to, to revisit again and see see what I think then. Because I, I agree, it is very enjoyable, but I'm concerned that it's forgettable and has flaws. And I, I don't know which one will win out at the end if I'm willing to just say, you know what, this is a lot of fun, or if these flaws are just going to really bother me on a second viewing. Final comments, Tommy. Um, I would say that I thought Guy Ritchie, who is, as I said earlier, is hit or miss for me, showed a surprising amount of restraint for a lot of this. It seemed like he let style win over crazy camera moves for a lot of it. And I think he really triumphed for that. Liked the actors. didn't understand the story. 
and was fine with it. And I liked, oh, one last thing. I also liked the two lead, the two male leads weren't ever in a fight over the girl. Oh, that's a good, that's a good catch. That there was someone, you know, that there was one line for that. So it wasn't just sort of that old trope. I kind of like that. I appreciated that, not having to go through that nonsense. Solo was never really interested. Yeah. Let me just add that one of the 14-year-olds who's sitting directly next to me, every time she got close to kissing Army Hammer, and note, they never, I don't think, did. They never do. They never kiss. He actually took his shirt, his T-shirt, and pulled it up over his head like a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> to not watch them kiss? To not watch the kid. And he would always do this. Uh, and so he actually missed them not kissing every single time i'm sure <laughs> do, you the, guys, the, do you guys remember that being a teen like not wanting to see people kiss bananas. i remember not wanting to see my parents kiss but just people kiss Dude, cooties are lethal that's man. so weird cooties are lethal <laughs> fair enough i need a okay. shirt so this kid's gonna go weird. home how was the movie oh there was so much kissing in this there movie so it just I really, uh, I had a great time at this film. I feel like I've been trying, because of you guys, I've been trying to lower my expectations and try to have more fun. And I think I think I did really well at this film. I could have come in, uh, you know, and and really, I probably could have been harder on it. But you guys are doing are doing what you need to do for me, which is to help me just enjoy the time. Uh, at these films. And I did that this time, and I feel really good about it. And let me just say, as a final, final comment... <laughs> that is a dubious compliment. I, You're welcome. <laughs> I I could just swim in Henry Cavill's deep blue eyes. They had a couple of, <laughs> a couple of nice close-up eye shots. Yeah. Oh, he's dreamy. Do you think the dimple in his chin is like a hot tub? Don't even care, because I'm so lost in his eyes. Who cares? Fair enough. So, uh, I think it's time for us to rank it. Let's see how this goes. The men from Mongo, they will never bungle and never ever crumble. Not a lot rhymes with uncle. Flick chart, not my best. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel great about that one. All right. Was ahead. it because just a second ago when I said before we rank it, I heard you say audibly, <gasps> yeah. and I thought, I wonder if he's actually written anything this time. <laughs> I saw this movie. I got to open this movie 45 minutes before we started. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. I love it. That's my best work. It was You're welcome. Best. I can't wait. Uh, Head over to flickchart.com uh, slash TNRfilmboard, and you can see our stack rankings of all of the films that we have done on this very special monthly show. And we'll see how Man From U.N.C.L.E. Uh, is going to hit. Uh, I don't know. You think it's going to be in the top half? I think it's going to be in the top half. We've done a lot of crappy movies. Oh. I think so. I, we have done a lot of crappy movies on, <laughs> on the billboard. Oh. Let's see. All right. The Man From U.N.C.L.E. or Cloud Atlas. Uncle. Man from Uncle. Man, man from, from Uncle. Man from, man from Uncle. The Man from Uncle or Looper. 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 Uh, oh. I haven't seen Looper in a while. People keep telling me I need to revisit it. And I'm trying to remember which one was more frustrating. Prosthetic forehead thing. and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, That's my problem. There were no prosthetic uh, foreheads in Uncle. 
Yeah, and Uncle had lots of laughs that I, yeah. I just don't remember coming back from Looper saying, I want to see it again to see how it holds up. I was like, eh, I'm done with that. Whereas Uncle, I want to see again. So I'm going to say Uncle. Uncle! Uncle! (laughs) I'm going to cry Uncle. I'm saying Uncle, too. Oh. The Man from Uncle or Fury. Fury. Looper. Favorite of all you guys. Wait, the Man from Uncle. <laughs> I got confused. Man from Uncle. I'll say the Man Man from Uncle. Wow. Fury. Worst Fury. job Fury. I ever had. Oh. The Man from Uncle or Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow. So great. <laughs> I will say I had a more enjoyable time in Man of Man with Uncle. From <laughs> the Man with your Uncle. The Man. The Man with the his man. Uncle. <laughs> Having a picnic in the, the park. Yeah, your uncle's creeping me out. I didn't even hear. How did that weigh out? Did who won? Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Won. Okay. Edge, uh, the man in <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow. The man from Uncle or Kingsman: The Secret Service. Kingsman. Oh, that's Kingsman. a fun. That's that a fun a nice little Absolutely, Kingsman. Kingsman. Yep. Kingsman for sure. That's kind of like uh, one of the best matchups ever. And that's it. It leaves it at number five. Five. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, it jumped right up there. It didn't let us rank it against Guardians of the Galaxy, which is actually just under Kingsman, but I would have picked Guardians. I would have picked I Guardians. Should, yeah. I, I should have known because okay. we started our review of Ant-Man last month with like, yeah, this movie's disappointing. It ended up in the top ten. So right. well, we we don't good. have that many movies on the list, so the top yeah. ten isn't that dubious. Of a... But there's many, there's many <laughs> boxes we've had. Yeah, it yeah. seems pretty good. It seems about right. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is number though, five as, out of thirty-seven. As we're as we're doing this ranking, Mike in the chat is is pasting in headlines about this film. Mike, well, yeah. So uh, early, you know, blog or article reviews have been less than uh, less than flattering, such as. Uh, the Man from Uncle movie box office bigger bomb than expected. Oh no! I like the next one. Better. Cry Uncle TV series reboot starring Superman and Lone Ranger, one of the year's biggest domestic bombs. <laughs> oh my god, that's the meanest. <laughs> which which so also speaks to this mean. not being that was written by Pun yeah, Magoo, which, which also speaks to this not being a Henry Cavill vehicle when when they're using the characters from other movies to reference them. <laughs> Well, I think they're referencing two other disappointing films. Now, how? I mean, they can't say it's a bigger bomb than Fantastic. Well, they can't say it's the biggest. So, if we talk about financial, they say it's one of these. We talk about financials. If this thing is aiming for a thirteen million dollar opening weekend release, that will be half of what Fantastic Four pulled in. Oh, oh, oh! In in its opening weekend? Oh no! Now, but let me. But but we also have to say. In terms of yes. eight day totals, the the showdown on Box Office Mojo right now is between Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds and this current Fantastic Four. Yes, and uh, Fantastic Four is coming in at thirty six million three hundred sixty one thousand. Green Lantern seventy six million nine hundred fifty five thousand. Wow. Well, and so days. I will say this. Over I will days. say this Thank one you. thing though. If you want to talk about just financials, right? Fantastic Four got a lot more advertisement. A lot more. And if you and if you have movies that are, you know, like a lot of the lot of these summer superhero movies, people say that they're not, you know, works of art. They're not whatever, but they but people come out and see them, right? And a lot of that is because they know about it. <laughs> you sort of have to know about it to go to the movie theater to purchase the ticket for it. So one would one would yeah, think. I think you know, from a from a Again, from a Hollywood mechanism to get this thing out, it seems like they've not been as energetic as you would think. 
I wish they had more faith in it because we had a really good time at this film. And, uh, and, and now, after we've talked about it, I actually am hoping for a sequel just to prove everybody else wrong. Where do we go from here? We already have it picked for next month, right? That is correct. We are going to be uh, talking about Everest for September. And we get to revisit one of our actresses from Man from Uncle in that film. I wonder what accent she will have. So we'll have an interesting discussion about her performances. This will be an interesting little twist. Yes, we will. Very much looking forward to this film. Uh, thank you so much, gents, for gathering. Mike Evans. Uh, I'm, I was never here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good. I don't like it. I think he might be behind me right now. <laughs> Steve Sarmento. I think I'm going to have to go have some Johnny Walker Black Label to get the taste of this film out of my mouth. Oh, Tommy. We did it. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Andy Nelson, I'll talk to you on Thursday. Sounds good, man. Good night, everybody. Ding, 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 You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on the Film Board and the rest of the Next Reels family of podcasts, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. There are so many great adaptations we've covered on the Film Board, available in audio form. The Bourne Legacy, Cloud Atlas, all three Hobbit movies. The book is so much better. Oz the Great and Powerful, or World War Z. There was The Monuments Men, the first two Divergent movies, and Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, I heard that book was awesome. What was it called again? All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Terrible title in either case, but a great read and a great movie. Absolutely. There's also The White Tiger and Stephen King's It. Plus Dune, which is one of my audiobook favorites. Oh, mine too. You know, producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. So now we're appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support the Film Board and the Next Reels family of podcasts. I've been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I've read hundreds of books through it. Couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it, too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free trial and get your first free audiobook at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Thank you.